This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. Look at that. It's my line. That's right. Now we're going to talk Michigan. It's my line. It starts today. It starts today. The march back to the playoffs. How are you guys doing this morning? <laughs> you're del- on, you're delusional. You're delusional. How am I delusional? Have you I- seen this team? Come on, man. You got Amara St. Brown. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson is ready to take a step up. You got this? I'm I'm a Lions fan. I'm a newly minted Lions fan. I I haven't said this to yourself. I haven't (laughs) suffered the way you've suffered, Sam. I think you're a little premature on Lions. I am on cloud nine because think about this. Mm -hmm. In my lifetime, in your lifetime, Brian, in your lifetime, Seth, not. Not quite. I think you kind of go a little back, back a little far. I, I, I remember when the Lions demolished the Browns right. in 1957 and won the championship. <laughs> so you I remember so that. He remembers a Lions championship. <laughs> right. So I am. Only I, I, I've saw, you know, I saw. in my lifetime, Michigan and and the Lions haven't had you know these kinds of expectations simultaneously. I've never lived. In a moment like this, the closest is maybe the early 90s, but that's not like this. So allow me to bask in the glow of optimism, at least for a moment. All right. Uh, so it's legit. Sam, it's who's, legit. who's got the better quarterback? The Lions? Am or I Michigan? on the wrong show? <laughs> the, the Lions are Michigan? Um, right now? Hey, man, Jared Goff disrespect is going to stop today. <laughs> this year, this year, it's going to stop. All right. Let's get to talking some right. Michigan. As the Wolverines began the season last week, came out. Beat East Carolina 30 to 3. You guys have message boards. You're on Twitter. The, the while satisfied with the victory, Brian Cook, a lot of fans lamented some, some stats. They lamented the lack of gaudy rushing stats. They lamented the uh the no sacks in the game. Uh, you know, down a little bit on, on kicking. You know how it is. 30 to 3 just was it didn't look quite impressive enough. Does that, does that sum up your feeling, or what did you think coming out of that game last week? Well, I mean, from an offensive perspective, they had the first drive backed up on their own one, and then until the backups came in, they scored touchdowns on every possession except for a one-minute drill at the end of the second half, and then they got a little bit too uh, obvious on the Edwards drive where they were trying to get him a touchdown. So for the overall impact I thought was good. And then I'm I'm looking at the film and one <clears throat> ECO's defense is uh interesting. 
Like, so they, they run that tight 404, uh, 404 type thing that a lot of small schools do and they're stunting all over the place. I don't think I saw a bus for them all day. And I was, and that's really impressive because they're replacing a ton of personnel and they were incredibly aggressive. So their safeties, I don't think I saw them line up deeper than 10 yards all day. And they were frequently throwing guys across the line of scrimmage before the mesh point even happened. So I was going over this and I was thinking about you talking last week about whether Michigan needs some RPOs. Yeah, they need some RPOs, but um, the costs were when Michigan ran play action, there were only three guys in the coverage. Right. <laughs> right. right. So, right. I mean, it was one of those games where like half your plays look brilliant and half your plays look incredibly bad because of the way the uh, defense is playing. So, but you know, they, they went, away from just grinding it and they ran a ton of play action like we were asking them to do uh jj looked amazing doing it and uh i think they might have to just do this for three or four games where it's like okay if you're gonna fling half your defense across the snap before even checking whether it's run or pass well we're gonna start passing it i i got a message from michigan offense with the only gripe i have you're allowed to run play action twice in a row because every time they ran play action, they nailed them, right? There's like three guys out there. They get zero coverage, and you know that. And JJ looks a guy off if he has to, but normally it's just open, just there for him. And then the next play, I checked every single play after play action, and they run blitz and we run. So that was the only. And I know first time play caller and whatnot, but that was uh, one of the reasons that was happening. Is just ECU was not going to go off of what they were doing. They did not learn their lessons at all on defense. The reason there's no sacks is because their entire – it was the opposite of their defense. Their defense was super aggressive. Their offense was um, either throw the ball uh, like on a fade really quickly, which that gets out before the pass rush can get there. You remember 2020 Michigan State, right? Or they just throw it underneath the coverage. Uh, but unless they had to, they were not going to drop back and try to fire a ball into a pattern. When they did, if they got any kind of pressure at all, the quarterback just threw it away or, you know, they were – big mobile quarterbacks, they would start running a little bit and then have to turf it. Um, they, they tried to throw into coverage one time after they got pressure, and that was the same Russell interception, and they didn't try it all all game. They just they knew they were going to lose, and they were just like, let's get out of this thing alive. Yeah, even though they had no sacks, they, they did get some pressure, and the one led to an interception. You had uh, 78, was that uh, coming yeah. down on the quarter? Yeah. Br- yeah. God's gift grant. Yeah, he had a good game. And, uh, in fact, I think he was almost 86 on pro football focus. Uh, and he uh, uh, caused that interception, although Sandra still did a great job on that. And and there was another play where uh, Jenkins was chasing the quarterback all over the field where he, he finally just threw it away. So there so there was some pressure, and, and, and to the extent we didn't get sacks, a lot of it was they were getting the ball out fast. And uh, as Seth said, it was a very passive uh, passing game. On the running stats, yeah, I mean, they, I suspect we're going to see this all year. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I think you're going to see other teams uh, be very aggressive with their linebackers and safeties and come down with their safeties. And so Michigan uh, should be running a lot of play action. I mean, and it worked in this game and – uh, 
JJ looked really good and the receivers look good. I think one of the concerns we had coming in was, is there depth in, on, on the wide receivers? And it sure looked like it. I mean, Fred Moore had a couple nice catches. Uh, I think Clemens had a catch. Uh, they still have two guys injured. And of course, the primary two guys were really good. I thought Cornelius Johnson had a great game. Roman Wilson, three touchdowns look good. So, um, look good. I, I, you know, I wasn't disappointed at all, despite the running stat, the running stats, and despite the uh, lack of sacks. Yeah, I well, think I think the the observation uh, that Seth brought up, you know, back to back play action, they they put they could have racked up 400 passing yards easy in this game. I found myself kind of um, trying to get into the head of of Kirk Campbell there, uh, what his marching orders must have been. And I think even in the scenarios where they're loading the box, I think Michigan still wants to wants to be able to run the ball. So they wanted to work that. We want to work work on how we run into a loaded box. And so what I was most interested in was did they adjust what they their their running game and they attempted to uh yeah. really in the second half you could you could see that and coming out of the break jason Avant said he talked to jesse minner and minner said hey we got to get our perimeter run game going we got to get more outside zone right and so that's what we were looking at in the, in the first half they were really closing down those inside gaps uh borges was like hey 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 they need to get, remember we were talking about TCU, they need to get outside. This is like that all over again. They got to get outside. Sure enough, we come out of the break. That's exactly what Minter said. They start trying to work outside zone. It's hit or miss because they aren't a great outside zone team. But that's something that they need to continue to work on. How do you get your perimeter run game clicking when teams are slamming down on you inside? If you insist on trying to run the ball in those scenarios, and Michigan is going to insist on still trying to run the ball in some of those scenarios, maybe just not as much as they used to, Brian. Well, I mean, I think two things. One is RPO. So <clears throat> once you have a, a steady RPO game, you, those linebackers can't fire like ECU linebackers were firing because that's suicide. So, you know, th that's something that I think to put the brakes on opposition players, make give them some indecision, that's something they need to incorporate. And then, <clears throat> you know, there was that, I'm pretty sure this was an intentional uh, counterplay. They run basically what looks like a dive, but uh, Edwards has a, an angle uh, when he takes the ball that allows him to hop outside of a really aggressive defensive end. And he picks up 15, 16 yards just by getting to the edge. And we, we saw something like that last year where they basically ran uh, what Borges calls bluff and we call arc mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> without the quarterback. So it was basically a split zone and the the tight end just passed up the defensive end and then uh, Corum's angle took him outside. So there, there are ways to, to get this stuff going. Honestly, that sort of the speed option look where you go to a mesh point first and then get into a pitch relationship, that would kill these teams. Um, <clears throat> because when they run that dive, you are seeing 8, 9, 10, 11 mm -hmm. players just crash into the middle of the... Uh, into the middle of the line. So there, there are ways around it that don't necessarily involve you having to run outside zone when you got a, a line full of big maulers. And those are those are yeah. going to be chunk plays. You know, yeah. those are going to be 20 yards plus. The point that you just made, I, I think, is is the point. Yeah, outside zone is just one way, but figuring out what is our perimeter run game? 
can can we develop it enough that it is a consistent counter to what teams are trying to do to us? It took them to the second half to get to their outside run game against Purdue. And that, I mean, against TCU, and obviously that involved getting J.J. involved, and they weren't going to do that in this game. So outside of, you know, getting J.J. on the edge more, what are some of the other ways in which you can, you should do it? There were no pin and pulls in this game. Understand that. TCU, there was a lot of leakage against TCU on pin and pull plays, plays with the way they were playing. So that was off the books. What are some of the other ways that you can get to the perimeter? I expect to see Michigan work on that. But how about this, Seth, as a as a theory? Brian brought up RPO. I brought up RPO. You could see examples in this game of the increased trust they have with J.J. Remember I said last yeah. week they're letting him change plays, change protections. He did it in this game. Got a big pass play, right? If they have that kind of trust in him, pre-snap if he's really been balling like they say he's been balling if he's really in tune with Kirk Campbell the way he seems to be and the way they say he is and he ran RPOs last year I think it was the Hawaii game he ran that split zone RPO for a touchdown yep. you know it's in the playbook mm-hmm. I suspect they're just it's just like in the two they're just holding it back and it's the only thing that makes sense to me why we didn't really see it is it's in there just like running JJ is in there but they're just holding it back for down the line. I I mean, I think what they wanted to do... explain it otherwise. Yeah. I mean, so the question about the how do they get to the edge, one of the plays that they did use was Banana. Uh, I I know there's a lot of different names out there for it. That's the one I know it as. But it's basically a waggle, right? And they they got the ball to Bredesen, and he got to rumble for a little bit. And if that guy comes up on Bredesen, then the quarterback can just run it. And that's... That was a play that Harbaugh used a lot at Stanford. That's if you're not RPO, if you're not RPOing, because I think RPO is more expensive than people realize, because it takes a lot of practice to get it right. You have to not just know who to read; you have to know who to read in all the different ways the defense can attack it. Right, so you can put it in for one game plan and not another. Uh, I think for the first game of the season, RPOs are a little difficult to install because you don't know exactly what defense you're going to get. So if they come out in something something new, you're reading the wrong guy and you're, you know, you just burned all that practice time. I think what they wanted to do was use this game and use the next game and probably the next game after next game after that to figure out um, to get J.J. used to reading defenses in the past. It's stuff that he's going to build upon. Right. And we saw a lot of that. Uh, I I, get, I feel really smart when Devin Gardner and I notice the same thing because I'm like, ha, 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 you know, Devin's going to notice it. He's going to find it. So if I find the same thing, it's like I feel like I feel really good about myself. Um, and we found the same play with this when he checked Colson Loveland on, the, on a third down. Mm-hmm. right? And he has Loveland be a blocker. And he didn't do a good job of blocking in that play. But he noticed that the way they were set up that – um, ECU thought Michigan wants to go to Loveland on third down. So they had they, they used all their, their uh, safety help on him, right? So he just made the blocker the guy that they had two men uh, protecting. That guy, instead, you know, he's going to go and take off after Roman Wilson, and then you know he's gone. <clears throat> you know you have that, uh, that throw underneath to, to Cornelius Johnson. He was doing a lot of that stuff. He was – J.J. was working on how to, like – run the things that they run with all those little subtle things that make them work. And that was what they, that was the game plan. That's what they wanted to do in this game. And, um, and that's what they accomplished in this game. So I'm not worried about the other stuff. We know Michigan's going to run the ball down the middle. If, unless you completely put yourself out of position to take that away, that's still their identity. It's just all, of well, it shouldn't stuff. be their identity anymore. I mean, like, 
that was their identity last year and their identity this year should not be that because they don't have to do that their identity this year should be like we're just going to do whatever you're not defending because with jj at this level he doesn't have to be protected you know he's not a guy who you have to like work around some limitations with so i would i would like them to start instead of imposing their will just taking what the defense is giving you because if you are trying to play like ecu yeah JJ's going to put up 85% on you. So yeah. I don't want Michigan to do what they did last year where certain key parts of their offense, what they were doing, they couldn't get to till after halftime. You know, JJ was running the ball last year against OSU and TCU, but he didn't get a design run until the third quarter. And to me, that's not what they should be doing this year. They should be going in, anticipating people stopping their run game and just beating their heads in for a half. And then maybe after halftime, you can, after they've decided that they don't want JJ to pass for 600 yards, then you can go back to being some more ground and pound. Well, that's sort of what happened this week, right? And, uh, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that the Michigan coaching staff, for whatever reason, is comfortable with RPOs. I mean, we ha- we've been pretty RPO light. And, uh, for whatever reason, that just doesn't seem like the direction they want to go. It didn't look like it last year and didn't look like it Saturday. And they're comfortable with read options, but they don't want JJ running read options against teams they're going to beat anyway. And, and, and so that poses a a bit of a problem, but I'm a hundred percent with Brian. I mean, if teams are going to play cover one or cover zero i mean this you know you have a quarterback you got wide receivers throw the damn ball see i think i think think rpo is going to be the compromise for what brian is talking about i I mean i happen to agree with seth i think you know their their identity maybe it's not running in you know up the middle into a loaded box but they're going to still run the football in those it's just who they are uh will it be an achilles heel at the end of the day we'll see but they're going to still want to run the rock. They when they're eight or nine men in the box, they just got to figure out how can they do that effectively. But to your point, Brian, to be able to adjust to how teams are playing, I think it's going to be okay. We're going to put some RPO on in these scenarios. And we know, because I, I suspect there are two reasons, Craig, or in the biggest being, you call RPOs, whatever your concept of the run pass balance is, mm-hmm. is going to be, it, you can't predict it. You can't, it's going to be thrown off. And I think going into the season last year, uh, even after you build trust with JJ McCarthy, it's more, hey, we want to run the football a certain number of times a game. And you can't call, you know, X number of RPOs and expect to get your run menu executed, right? Because a lot of those are definitely going to be passes. This year, I think the compromise is going to be, all right, we'll, we'll concede that. We're going to call some RPOs. It might mean it skew more toward the past that way, but we'll, we'll use that to balance the equation. And, but we're still, at the same time, going to be calling some run plays, some pure run <laughs> plays into, into loaded boxes. I think that's how they're going to split the baby, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it's just you, you need to put indecision into the minds of the, the defense. Uh, and the only thing better than a linebacker who's charging across the line of scrimmage uh, because he's got the wrong play is a linebacker who's not doing anything, right? The guy who's standing still is the perfect defensive foil. So, you know, Michigan last year, they weren't going to do that. 
you know, except in against Penn State, I guess. They, they they were going to use those those play actions as daggers for 60 yards, you know. Mm-hmm. They they wanted to grind down the field and then every once in a while hit a big play. And that's one philosophy of offense that I think is appropriate when you're being risk avoidant, but Michigan is at the point where they should be maximizing what they're able to do. And mm-hmm. so that means not uh, calling a lot of plays to set up another play. Like you have so much ability on this offense that every play should at least hypothetically be a home run. And with Corman Edwards, a lot of your run plays are going to be like that. Uh, you just got to, maybe move away from a really heavy duo for a little bit. It reminds me of a few years back when Michigan was running a bunch of crack sweeps. And there was a point at which it was clear that everybody who was defending Michigan had a plan to defend these crack sweeps. And they hung up, they hung on to it for like a couple weeks too long. Um, and now it might be the time to bring back the crack sweep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause teams are teams are game plan and we got to stop duo. Yeah, no question yeah. about it. No question. Like that was that was ECU's whole game plan, and they did a, a pretty solid job of it. It was uh, difficult to grade the offensive line in, in parts because it's like, okay, I mean, what is Trevor Keegan going to do when there's a guy he's supposed to be on a double team and there's a guy screaming through the gap? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's just tough, uh, a tough sledding for offensive linemen, and you know, making their jobs easier, I think, will be profitable for both the run and the pass. I, I mean, I think uh, it's fair to say, too, or to recognize that the EC, ECU's strength, I thought of that team, was the defensive line. I thought they were pretty good. Well, they uh, yeah, they were yeah, really tricky. Was actually good. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I could see that defense being very good at the G5 level. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't think that they have the horses to really stand up against a Power 5 offensive line. But as I mentioned, they they ran a ton of fronts, they ran a ton of stunts, and I don't think I saw them bust once. Like they, they had to really expose themselves on play action because they're so light. But when they're not playing Michigan, they might be good. Yeah, I mean that. I think that's a good. I mean, in some ways, it's a good team, and it's certainly a well coached team. And I thought we we mentioned that last week that this guy, I think his name Mike Houston, had had done a good job other places. Uh, the question for you guys is, what did you think of Miles Hinton at right tackle, and is that going to endure? I mean, I know that you're a Trent A. Jones fan, Brian, and sort of lean that way, but you looked at the offense. What What did you think of Hinton this week? I mean, I thought he was not good, which is an, op- uh, an opinion shared by Miles Hinton. So <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, he, he was at a press conference like, yeah, I didn't play like I practiced, so... Like okay. I feel fairly confident in saying that he he was Michigan's uh, weakest offensive lineman in this game. There were a number of instances where I don't think he quite read what ECU's defense was doing, and so he'd release to the second level where there was nobody to hit. So there were a couple of plays that I thought um, got jammed up because of that decision. He got beat on pass pro a couple of times, and yeah, I, I think you're going to see Henderson and Trent A. Jones start this weekend, and then that's where the baseline is for comparison, I think. So Henderson, I don't think did he get any snaps at all this week? Yeah, uh, he was he was a second late. team left tackle. He got like nine because the second team got on for nine snaps. And you think they're gonna bench uh Barnhart this week in favor of, of Henderson? I mean Harbaugh said that they were gonna yeah. s- 
change offensive tackles from week one okay. to week two. Okay. So I, you know, Barnhart acquitted himself pretty well. Um, doesn't have the physical upside of Henderson, but uh, you know, sometimes you just want the most, the steadiest guy, and mm-hmm. he might be that guy. I, yeah. I mean, I just love having Barnhart on this team as a sixth guy because you can use him as a guard, you can use him as a tackle. Like that's the the ideal is that one of the other tackles comes through so that Barnhart can be your safety valve because someone's going to get hurt this year. Well, I mean, he would be that even if he is a starting tackle. I don't necessarily think that's a big distinction. I mean, Trente came in for maybe a dozen snaps as the bonus OL, mm-hmm. and he thunk some guys across the formation really powerfully. So um, I would be surprised if he didn't play pretty well against UNLV, and I would be surprised if he didn't take that job. Although the way everybody's been talking about Barnhart, you know, maybe if Henderson comes through on left tackle, that he's still the right tackle. But, you know, yeah, I've been team Jones here and I didn't see a whole lot to change my opinion. All right. We need to get to a break. We'll get to the Michigan defense on the other side. Cause uh, some guys really, really flashed uh, none more than Mikey same Ristol, uh, who just looks like an absolute dude, but we got to get to a break. We'll come back on the other side. All right, I knew this was going to come up. Um, I get so Will Fong reported that they are a factor for Bryce Underwood. That shouldn't come as a surprise, right? I think if he can win games, he's going to be a factor for everyone. You know, they're all the top guys. So, uh, do is he going to Colorado? I think that's a you know that's an overstatement. Um, is he going to be is, is he going to be a factor? I think so. He's already recruiting the state. He came in. And got um, my man over West Bloomfield, the uh, the defensive end. Sorry that his name is escaping me this early in the morning. Uh, so they do have a presence here in the state. Um, how could you can't ignore 510 yards in the first game? That's why I'll come back to uh, what we've been talking about. Any success that we see for JJ on and off the field needs to be front center. So he goes out, has a good, like nearly perfect passing day. And then we're reading reports he has a deal with Bose and, you know, deal with all these different um, deals that he's coming up with. It is important for those stories to be front and center because it helps when you're trying to recruit a dude like that. And now you're trying to recruit him, not just against Brian Kelly and LSU, right? Now you're trying to recruit against Prime, which is going to be a compelling presence for a lot of kids. And I imagine that's going to be the case uh, for Bryce. I'm actually going to be talking to uh, some Belle, Belleville folks today about that very thing. So we'll see uh, what they're saying. But it doesn't st- come as a surprise to me that he's going to factor in there. Sorry, he, Coach Prime. So, which yeah, I, I apologize, about. by the way, about the audio. I thought about it after yeah. the fact. But yeah, I can't play certain things over the stream. We'll get okay. in trouble. So and okay. that's all the, the viewers that are on the stream. Yeah, I don't want to. Okay. The stream would be erased, basically, is what happened, and we'd get in trouble. So okay. that's why I didn't hear it. Okay. But I did play it all the times that I said I played it. You just okay. didn't hear it. Meanwhile, uh, the quarterback we do have in the fold has been uh, playing very well. Jaden yes. Davis, yes. he's got he uh, 11 touchdowns in three games, 11 touchdown passes, no interceptions. He's uh, average, averaging about, last time I checked, 380 yards a game and, and passing and high yards per attempt. Uh, extremely yeah. efficient passing. So I mean, yeah, he's not, not he's not right a here. stiff. It, it's right, not he's like he's a football it. player. Unlike player, somebody right? else seems look, to think. You know? Look and listen, listen, and that yeah. that's a great point to bring up. 
Yeah. You know, we're talking about bringing in Bryce Underwood, not as a, a shoe in, bringing him in and so having compete. a competition, having yeah. a competition and made the best man win. The best man will win and the other guy will transfer. That's that's how these things work these days. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. Yeah, um, I mean, that's probably for him not going to be different at uh, Colorado. Right. We And we'll have, you know, J Jaden will have the benefit of a year in the system and likely mm -hmm. a year starting at quarterback for, for Michigan. So, uh, you know, you can't, you can't just say he's guaranteed to leave damn good quarterback. I think Jane's going to uh, start next show. year, man. I, unless they go to the portal. Yes. I, unless they get the a guy in the portal, which they're going to try to get somebody. Yeah. But is, you know, unless nope. it, can you get a sample? <laughs> Did you say Milton? <laughs> no. Well, no, I mean, for, for Bryce Chuck. Underwood, for, for Bryce, for Bryce Underwood purposes, going to the portal makes sense. Mm -hmm. You get you get a one year stopgap, and then you get an open competition between hopefully Underwood and and Jaden Davis. Like, <clears throat> you know. yeah, but as as the roster stands right now, Seth, yeah, starting yeah. quarterback, and you know you hope you can go find a Sam Hartman, uh, but if you can't, here you go. Back on radio in about twenty seconds, guys. Yeah. Which, what did you guys think? I don't know if we'll have time to get to this. What did you think of freaking Ohio State? Like oh, I asked man. you guys, they they they're real man. quiet about quarterback they're real quiet about the offense and it's like i don't think they were just you know being humble i like they're capable of being humble i think they legit saw a problem yeah i mean that left tackle is not up to their standard and he was, guys about and we are back folks here on the michigan insider sports talk 1050 wtka online at wtk.com mgo blog roundtable brian cook seth fisher and the venerable craig ross the only one among us who remembers the 57 championship, right? <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> I saw it and I wasn't tiny. <laughs> All right. He was so an old man at that point. Yeah. So uh, Brian, let's, let's go back to you and start again. The Michigan defense. What were you encouraged by? What did you think needs to be improved? If anything? Well, considering you got two starters out in the secondary, I thought their play was excellent. I mean, they got some fades thrown at them and uh, Barry had a breakup. Wallace almost had an incredible interception. You know, they couldn't really pick on Keyshawn Harris. And I know that that's like, you know, it's just ECU. But in terms of what was I worried about? Well, I was worried about guys running free in the secondary, and that didn't really happen. You know, the front seven, I mean, any attempt to run the ball was just immediately crushed. The rotation was, was really interesting because it looks like they got, I think they got five guys at both defensive end and defensive tackle. And then Houseman shows up and he's like immediately like, okay, that guy can play. So I thought it was interesting that they were rotating him through both linebacker spots and the other guys were just playing middle or weak. Yeah. It looks to me like this. I mean, I'll let Seth speak to this. He's the one who's charted the defense, but it seemed to me that uh, the linebacking play right now is about as good as it's been in a long, long time. I mean, I thought all three of those guys played really well, and uh, and the defensive tackles were great. But go ahead, Seth. This is uh, your yeah. Ballpark. I was gonna say I charted something I never charted before. A couple of things I never charted before when I've been doing defense. One is Junior Colson didn't make any mistakes, not one. <laughs> and I mean that was this thing last year. This guy is a playmaker. He 
reckless he throws himself at the line sometimes, and it's gorgeous, right? He's he's a big guy. He moves people around. He got underneath a tackle and just shoved him off and made the tackle in this game. And that's the thing that Junior Colson can do. He can do that athletically. He can do that with size and strength. But, like, he would make mistakes. He made no mistakes in this game. One game. Not going to say say anything more about it. But he only made one mistake. I'm sorry, no mistakes in this game. Houseman... Yeah, that guy's gonna be a dude. Like you could, you just see it. He there were a couple times where he just like zoomed in and got uh and got somebody when the cornerback was setting an edge. Cornerbacks are setting pretty good edges in this game too. And another thing I saw in this game that I have not charted and I've been on about forever, the cornerback switched. So they tried to run a run route. Uh, that was on the the Sab uh, when they tried to throw the fade on Sab. Their first look, what they thought, because they called a, they, they they switched their offense, right? They called an audible, and they thought they, they saw man coverage, and they thought they were going to get a rub. And Keyshawn Harris and Mike Sammer still switched on those guys. They weren't switching before this year. They never switched with DJ Turner. And now that that's in the toolbox, and obviously, you know, those are two older guys on the team, but Josh Wallace is another older guy. If that's in the toolbox, and uh, Will Johnson can do it too, that's that was like the only hole that they had. That was what teams would run us in third and short last year. So uh, an interesting note on that. It wasn't a toolkit. But remember last year, Mikey was a first-year DB. Mm-hmm. So play the sticks out to me. They got rubbed against Rutgers, and mm-hmm. Will was the other corner. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, Will, what, what happened on this play? He said, hey, that was Mikey's fault. <laughs> that was Mikey's fault. <laughs> he said, that was, that was Mikey's fault, man. He said, you know, we, we're supposed to trade on that and they didn't uh and so he's you know that was a lesson learned that was a little late in the season and remember again mikey's the first year guy well now mikey is a veteran in the game i was impressed that Keyshawn harris in his first big time action was was ready for that right so well coached guys guys who've been in the system guys who can think on their feet it was a great reflection on on the coaching and on the, the maturity of the players on the field yeah, and and Josh yeah. Wallace was looking really smart out there too. I they ran a, a trap coverage to uh, to destroy some RP to uh, destroy the RPO that um they they ran the same RPO I think five times in this game. Like like their ECU was just gonna do their thing, but Michigan finally just said okay enough, and they ran that trap coverage. And Wallace played it perfectly, and you could tell he's been coached by Don Brown because like that was that's how Don Brown teaches it. Uh, but like that was just so refreshing. Like we were worried about Amore and Walker coming into the season, and like oh, is, you know, is that going to be our cornerback? Um, I really, I feel more comfortable after uh, this game about Josh Wallace than probably anybody else I saw. Yeah, and I, well, the rumor is that uh, Will Johnson and uh, Rod Moore are practicing this week, so I suspect we're going to see them back, if not this week, next week. So one of the concerns was depth. At, at corner, and I think that's a bit of less of a concern now. I also think Keon Saab had a pretty good game, uh, and I think you charged yeah, him. Well. Yeah, I was happy for Keon. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys remember a lot of folks talking about Keon needs to be a linebacker. Yeah. Keon needs to be a linebacker, and so he dropped. He said he dropped about ten pounds in the offseason. Felt quicker, felt faster, uh, and he was going to play no matter what, but his role in this game was certainly elevated. He made two plays, you know, where he did the ball is in the air. It gets to the receiver. He didn't get, he didn't panic in either instance and made a play on the football. I thought Keon acquitted himself really well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who you see popping up, you know, first-time player. That, that fate, he didn't get his head around, but he played it very well. He got his arms between the arms of, of the offensive player at the right time. And that's something that, you know, as as he grows as a player, he might try to look for an interception there. But if we're talking about redshirt freshman first start, I'm, I'm going to take that all day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was I, I was I was pleased with him, and and you know that's going to be important because I don't think Rod Moore is going to be here next year. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. I think hey, yo, Rod. I think Rod's going to have a huge season, and that's his mindset heading into here. I'm going to the NFL. So, mm-hmm. yes, I agree with you on that, Brian. It's a very very positive sign. Here's a a question that kept coming up in some of our streams this week, and I, I said, okay, Keon looked good. I think he looked good as a safety, but let's not get carried away because, you know, fans get excited and they say, well, if you got five good DBs, just play Keon at corner. It's like, okay, stop. Stop. That's not. Okay, let me not answer the question for you guys. What do you think about that idea that fans have been bringing up this week? Unlikely. No, no, he's not a corner. Wait, Keon Sab at corner? No. All right, so one of his plays, one of the great plays he made in this game was uh, he ends up in man coverage on a a flag route where the, the receiver's cutting outside, and there's nowhere else to put that ball. That quarterback threw a beautiful pass under duress. I give him credit for that throw. And Sab, he's three yards off when that ball is thrown. Like, And that is not where you want your guy to be. You know, if that's a cornerback and you don't have a lot of space, that's not a good spot to be. He made up that ground and knocked the ball out at the end. They had to replay it and make sure that the, and, and see it. But he did. He did get to the ball and he did knock it out at the end. So he's a playmaker, but he's not the just athlete who can who can do that, right? That's if you want to see somebody who's who we saw yesterday or sorry Saturday and is going to probably be starting by the end of the year I'm going with Jair Hill because there were some things that he showed he is super quick super quick he's not big right he gets he got a hold of the guy and then it was just a whole lot of pulling and tugging to make sure that guy wasn't going any further because he's not big but man can he move I, there, mm-hmm. there's nobody else on the team who can move like him. So it, once he gets it and once he gets a little more size, that is going to be a player. We got to talk about Mikey St. Russell, though. Guys. Uh, you know, I talked about him last year in, in a bad play. It's like he made so many positive plays uh, last year. And in this game, I thought that dude was – I thought he was big time. Just like glue. The only time they got open, it was a pass interference, offensive pass interference. That dude is, is just on another level. Uh, and I, a true playmaker for for Michigan uh, from the beginning of the year, and think that's just going to be the case throughout the year. Uh, let's start with you, Craig, because we haven't heard from you. Well, I, I uh, maybe I'm wrong. He's not big, but I think he's an NFL player. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to get drafted this year, and and it's pretty remarkable for a guy to go from receiver to defensive back pretty seamlessly. Now he did play defensive back in high school, as my recall also, mm-hmm. but he, you know, that's been a pretty seamless transition for him. You could see his, uh, his wide receiver skills on the uh, interception, uh, which wasn't the, the easiest catch. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be playing, he's going to be playing on Sundays. So I, I, I have almost no doubt about that. And I don't think he would have if he played state a receiver. Are you no, about I, 
making yeah. a great decision. Well, Virginia Tech yeah. wanted him at cornerback back when Virginia Tech knew what they were looking at. One thing I noticed about Samer still in this game, I didn't even write him up. He's already gotten to the point where like he's so good it's boring. But he shows up in a lot of other guys' highlights. So you you know talk about like Hausman just like nailing a dude, right? The reason why he was able to line that up is Samer still takes his receiver and throws him all the way back to the hash mark and just cuts the amount of running space that that play is supposed to have. That was on a reverse. He cuts that amount of space in half, right? You know, there's another one where he just um. You know, they had like a backwards pass that uh, that gets kind of the run, whatever. But like th- he sets up on the edge and is just battling with that receiver. And he's like getting held and yanked and everything like that. And then Barrett actually misses the tackle out there. Or no, sorry, McGregor misses the tackle out there. Samer still comes off his guy and makes the tackle. And like these are little plays that people don't notice very much. But he's just been in perfect position on these run plays. And he's not a big guy, but I mean, I just talked about him nailing a tight end, nailing a six foot two, two twenty receiver. Like those are big players that he's going against, and he just outmuscled them. How about he, he's how also about sort of the emotional leader, it seems to me, as much as anyone on this team. I mean, and that's meaningful. It's meaningful in the NFL. I mean, it's it's meaningful at Michigan. It's certainly meaningful in the NFL. Yeah, captain, captain for a reason. But you, you mentioned yeah. he's not a big guy. Brian Kenneth Grant's a big guy. And he can move. I mean, I expected to feel him in a run game, but as a pass rusher, you felt him in this contest. Yeah, I mean, he had that stunt that resulted in the Saner still pick, and I was watching him like, who is that? And then it was 78, and I was like, no. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, was, that, was, that was his reputation as, yeah. as a recruit. Like, so the people who were high on him were really high on him because they were like, I don't understand how this guy moves like he does at his size. And that was probably 30 pounds ago. He lost 20 in the phone books, and I'm sure he was, he was slimming down over the later period of his high school career. So, you know. I think he's still probably a year away from being consistent, but as a guy who you can bring in for a third to 40% of the snaps, I think he could be a guy who really makes a difference. I mean, the thing about this line is they were, you know, it was, it was three plays on and then we're going to, we're going to have a line change. And I don't think that's something that is just like, Oh, we're just playing ECU. I think you're going to see like maybe a little bit more favoritism towards the the starters against big 10 teams but i think they can they can keep these guys fresh the whole season because they really have like one and a half starting off starting defensive lines here and grant's a big part of that yeah yeah so so much that uh, we can get to in the college on the college football landscape we only have a few minutes left so i'll spend that time on ohio state guys i mean we talked a little bit about it in the break Indiana had the worst defense in the league last year. I know every year is different, but the talent disparity was so great that it was reasonable to expect Ohio State to be able to go up and down the field on on the Hoosiers. And they were able to. It just it was striking to me how docile their offense looked in that game, Brian. Yeah. So two things is that their left tackle is a San Diego State transfer and he did not look up to their standards. And they're, they went under center a lot. They, I think one of their themes of the off season is we got to get tougher. And so what they're doing is that they're getting under center and they're running a lot and they're running zone stretch to the boundary, which Ross Fulton, who's an Ohio state fan, who's really good about this stuff, uh, despises and they're not getting off blocks. 
and they're not getting the linebackers. That middle linebacker from Indiana might be a player, but he was shooting into the backfield. I don't think I've seen linebackers in the backfield like that over the course of an entire year for Michigan over the past few years. And he was in the backfield probably five or six times. So they got major communication issues. They got major, major philosophy issues. And then Kyle McCord, well, he doesn't look like he's going to be CJ Stroud. And Stroud had a rough first start too. Then he's going up against a Big Ten defense that I do think will be better than they were last year. But yeah, they've had this incredible run at quarterback. And I just don't think it's going to continue this year, particularly with their issues on the offensive line. I mean, Igbuka and, and uh, Marvin Harrison had a total of 34 receiving yards in this game against Indiana. So, yikes. Yeah, how does how does Marvin Harrison have two receptions? I, I, I just, he got hurt wow. in that game for a little bit. He came down. Not, not, that I'm, not that I'm you know, wishing that they, get the, that they make Marvin Harrison look like Marvin Harrison. I'm just surprised. That it neither he nor Ibuka went off in this contest. You you can no, put I'm, a guy on I, top of him, right? I mean, but they they were shutting down the run game pretty well. Like, I don't think that they really doubled up. I think that McCord had issues kind of finding him. They did hit Stover quite a bit for some good right. gains. So you know maybe it's just taking what the defense gives you. But I I mean it, Indiana has often been able to shut down good running games because they're so aggressive with those trap corners. But it's never mattered when they play Ohio State because they just get nuked in the air and put up 23 and kind of like sludge it out against the, I mean, their their hope is week one to week two now, right? That whatever kinks that they showed in week one are just going to evaporate because teams do get a lot better after they actually hit the ground. Um, but if they remain at that talent level, I had a hot take for a season preview podcast that Ohio State was going to be playing in the Outback Bowl. <laughs> so, given how you know the, they were all over the backfield, Indiana. Given how the quarterback battle clearly was still quote a battle, and Devin Brown is the more mobile of the two, and you're trying to be more physical and run the football. Why would why did Devin Brown not get more run in this game? That was another thing that was confusing. It was too close, and he's a turnover machine. That's my guess. Like, yeah, he's. He's younger, um, and it's clear that they weren't really totally happy with McCord, but they can't put Devin Brown in the game because he's just going to throw it into a linebacker's chest. That's my assumption. Yeah, um, Ohio State's going to get better this week because they play Youngstown State. We'll, we, you know, we'll see what happens uh, on the road against Notre Dame. I mean, right now you'd have to say it's a reasonable chance they're going to lose to Notre Dame. I want and, to see what happens uh, against Notre Dame's offensive line. Because yeah. that was the other thing that they're supposed to be fixing. And you can't tell against Indiana. You're not going to tell against YSU. But you'll tell. Notre Dame is the only other team other than Georgia that has an offensive line like Michigan's. Well, they have two very good tackles. And their interior is a little bit patched together in Notre Dame. So Ohio State has a number of defensive tackles who look like they might be able to make a leap. Uh, particularly, I think, Tyreek Williams or Hill. I forget his last name, Tyreek. <laughs> just goes by his first name now because I made him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th I think their defense has the potential to improve uh, if they really get someone making a leap on that defensive line. But, you know, JTT last year had a 9% pass rush win rate, which is worse than uh, Taylor Upshaw. Um, and Sawyer really hasn't produced either. So you have all this talent on the, on the defensive line. They make a step forward. They, they can really patch up a bunch of holes if they don't 
I think you're looking at Larry Johnson being a problem. Hey, man. And so that's a great segue on the way out. Mm-hmm. This is why in the summer to get a little recruiting in. I said, look, whether it's Michigan State guys and and uh, Nick Marsh or the Ohio State guys that they lost, you keep recruiting those guys because there was a good chance Michigan State was going to suck. And it's really looking like that prediction is going to be true. <laughs> and in Ohio State, if they don't have a playoff season, if they go down to Michigan again, someone's getting fired. And I doubt it's going to be Ryan Day. And it's probably going to be a sacrificial lamb on defense. It's, it's going to be Ryan Day. You think so? <laughs> they lose Michigan third time. Just, just given like the the pulse of the Ohio State fan base that I sort of track on Twitter, yeah. if they lose to Michigan this year, it will be all-out revolt if it's Ryan Day. <laughs> this is a great hot take. My hot take is Urban Meyer coaches Ohio State in 2024. We'll pick it up next week. Another great show, guys. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK The Ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor Accumulus Station.